I would just remind you that next Sunday night we are going to be having a a time of prayer beginning at 6 p.m. here in the Fellowship Hall. Love to have you join us. I have yet to confirm it, but we hope that it can be online as well, so some of you may not want to show up in person or feel comfortable doing that, that's fine. Uh, We're going to be here in person and encourage that, and we're going to be praying together. It's kind of uh, more intimate and more preferable, I guess, in my opinion, but I hope you can join us for that. Six o'clock to seven o'clock, that will be the the time that we're going to be praying. Uh, I just invite you to look with me to the Lord in prayer right now. Father, uh, we've been singing some songs that call us to find our hope and our strength ultimately in our relationship with you. As the psalmist says, whom have I in heaven besides thee? There's nothing I desire on earth besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And Lord, I pray uh, that uh, you would help me, help each of us, because we, we know in our minds, uh, that that's true. But I pray that you'd help us to to know you well enough for it to be true in our hearts. And I pray and ask that you would open our eyes, that we would behold truths from your word today that would grip us, that would change us. I pray that you would allow our hearts to be sensitive to what your word has to say. Help us to receive it for what it is, the word of God and not the word of men. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week, uh, the Reverend Raphael Warnock was quoted or put out on social media this, and I quote, The meaning of Easter is more transcendent than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Whether you're a Christian or not, through a commitment to helping others, we are able to save ourselves. Let me just be Straight up, that may be culturally popular, but it is biblically heretical. That is not the Bible. Okay? Last week, also, our brothers and sisters in Christ at Grace Life Church in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, witnessed the RCMP placing barricades around their church property. There was an outer barricade, a fence that was put up, and then there was an inner barricade right up next to the building in which there was privacy cloth put up around it so they could not enter into their place of worship to worship. Now this comes on the heels of their pastor, James Coates, being arrested and taken in and imprisoned because he was conducting in-person services in the church in violation of the Canadian health prohibitions. Right now, the United States Senate is debating what is, I say, deceptively named the Equality Act. It's under consideration, and in this act, if it is passed by the Senate, the U.S. Senate, and becomes law, every Christian church, every Christian nonprofit organization, Every Christian university, every Christian NGO, every Christian business owner, and every Christian who believes what the Bible teaches about gender, 
sexuality and marriage will be in violation of the law. And I say all these things just to let you know that increasingly we are living in a day and an age in which it's evident that if we are going to please men, we're going to have to forsake Jesus. We're going to have to turn our back on the Bible and on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. But this dichotomy is not really a new one. In fact, the text that we're going to look at this morning shows us that this is a dichotomy that's been around for centuries. Because in Matthew chapter 14, it is Herod who is faced with the choice. And I, am I going to please men and forsake Jesus? Or am I going to follow Jesus and forsake men? If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn there. And as you're turning there, I'm just going to remind you, since we've been out of the book of Matthew for a couple of weeks, we're back in the book of Matthew now. And the Matthew, Matthew's gospel is a declaration that Jesus Christ is the King of Israel. And he's the Lord of the nations. He's not just Israel's king, he's the king of the nations. And we see this declared and, and proven to us, begins, and it's attested in chapters 1 and 2. Then in chapters 3 through 7, we see that Jesus Christ as the king of Israel is not only attested, but it's inaugurated. His, his kingship is inaugurated. In chapters 8 through 10, it's demonstrated. In chapters 11 through 13, it's challenged and it's questioned. And so we come to chapter 14. And in chapters 14 through 18, this hostility towards Jesus is just mounting. It's, it's becoming increasingly, increasingly mounting as the people are asking, is this, just, is this guy really the king? Is this Jesus guy really? He's the king of Israel? We're not really sure about that. And so we just got off of the fact that he was rejected in his hometown of Nazareth. And now we see again that another manifestation of unbelief in the response of Herod as he rejects not only John, but in rejecting John, he rejects John's Messiah, Jesus. I'm in Matthew chapter 14. I'm going to read down through verse 12, beginning with verse 1. And at that time, Herod, the Tetrarch, heard of the news about Jesus. And he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. For when Herod had John arrested, he bound him and put him in prison on account of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip. For John had been saying to him, this is John speaking to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have her. And although he wanted to put him to death, that is, Herod wanted to put John to death, he feared the multitude because they regarded him as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. Therefore he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. And having been prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. And although he was grieved, the king commanded it to be given because of his oaths and because of his dinner guests. And he sent and had John beheaded in the prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took away the body and buried it. And they went and reported to Jesus. It's a pretty gruesome tale, not one you see in the storybooks. It's not in your children's Bible storybook, you know. 
uh, as many of the stories in the Bible are not in those books, but it's a reality, it's true. And in this text, in Matthew chapter 14, verses 1 through 12, Herod shows us the two faces of those who fear men and forsake Christ so that we will not follow in their footsteps. Herod becomes an example to avoid, okay? So that we will trust in and take a stand for Jesus. Herod is the man whose example we avoid, and John is the man whose example we follow in this text. The first face of those who fear men rather than God is that we're, we're troubled in our conscience without trusting in Christ. At that time, the text begins, it refers to a period of about one, when Jesus is one to one and a half years into his ministry, okay? When there's widespread activity that's taken place, Jesus has been ministering a lot, and he's sent out his disciples to do a lot of ministry. And this ministry in Galilee has expanded the awareness of Jesus and who he is and what's going on. But it's also escalated the hostility against Jesus on the part of the religious and the political leaders, okay? So you think about it. I mean, Jesus has been healing people. Jesus has been teaching in the synagogues. Jesus has been raising people from the dead. Jesus has been performing miracles, walking on water and doing all these things and casting out demons. And Herod is like, hmm, what's going on here? He can't ignore it because Jesus and John were ministering in the areas where Herod was the ruler it's kind of like this, you know, a few years ago, nobody knew who Matt Campbell was. But now, anybody who's anybody who, who follows uh, college football knows that Matt Campbell is the head football coach at Iowa State University because over time, his popularity and his influence has spread in the same way Jesus and his popularity had spread. It garnered uh, interest around that. So who's Herod? Herod the Tetrarch or Herod Antipas, okay? He's a ruler of Galilee and a ruler of Perea. Now, I don't know about you, when I read it, I go, well, okay, so he's someplace over in the Middle East. <laughs> he's the ruler there, right? Well, yes, in the primary area of Judea, Bethlehem of Judea, so around Bethlehem, this is west of the Jordan River and, and near around the whole area of Bethlehem, but also across the Jordan River in Perea. So he was the Tetrarch. He was a Tetrarch, which means he was one of four because uh, Herod the Great was his dad. Uh, Herod the Great, he's the guy who was widely despised, a cruel and cunning and cold-blooded guy, of whom it is said it was better to be Herod's pig than it was to be his son. You had a better chance of living if you were his pig than if you were his son. This is the kind of guy we're talking about. That's the dad of this Herod. And that dad had, had rule over a, a big region, and he split it up between four guys. And so you have this one, Herod, who is a ruler in that one region, okay? And it is this Herod who joined with other people because the parallel texts in Mark 6 and Luke 9 show us that there were others who had this idea that the works that Jesus were doing led them to believe that Jesus was John the Baptist raised from the dead. Okay, And he declared as much to his followers, and he proved it by saying, how do I know this? Well, because of the miracles. This is what it says in uh, verse 2, right? Because of the miraculous powers that are, that are at work in him. Now, 
Think about this. One can only imagine the, the guilt-ridden fear that must be in the mind and the heart of Herod, who had unjustly, without reason, and because of a whim, had slaughtered John the Baptist in compliance. Unjust and, and illegal, actually. It was illegal for him to do it, but he did it. He had slaughtered this, this uh, John the Baptist guy based upon a whim because his wife was ticked off at John the Baptist and used her daughter to get to him. And so that's what happened. And so, can't imagine. He's thinking, well, now this guy's been raised from the dead and, and he's coming back and he's frightened because he believes that he's going to bring revenge. He's going to get revenge on me. It was a a plausible explanation. It was kind of far out there, but it was a plausible explanation. I mean, just think about it. If you had testified, and if your testimony had put somebody in prison for life, and they got parole after 15 years, what are you thinking? <laughs> You're looking over your shoulder. And John the Baptist was a guy who had been up in Herod's face, and Herod respected him. He didn't like him, but he respected him. And he knew that something was going on. Because, see, John the Baptist had been a guy that Herod had considered. If you read the gospel text in Mark chapter 6, he knew he was a righteous and a holy man. And he enjoyed listening to him. This is the, the text of, of Mark. He liked listening to him. And he knew that he was uh, this guy. And he was even grieved. It says in our text that he was grieved when he died. So there's something going on in his conscience. He knew what was going on. He knew something. Despite the fact that Herod knew that John was a man of God, that John was the voice of God in Herod's life. He was the voice of God calling him to repentance. Herod, you're with this woman and she shouldn't be your wife. You had a wife when you took this one. And she had a husband. You're wrong. And one of the other gospel texts said it, that wasn't the only thing he was highlighting in Herod's life. There were other sins that he was pointing out. And you need to get it right. Well, he pointed it out, but Herod was never willing to come and put his faith or his trust in Jesus. There's no evidence of repentance. He had a little remorse that John was dead, but he had no repentance in his heart. And what's my point? Well, I think my point, I think the text's point is that, well, well many, of, many are not troubled in their conscience. You know, a lot of people are not troubled in their conscience, but some are. And uh, some of those whose sinful activity touches a spiritual nerve. And you kind of have a twinge of conscience and a twinge of regret. But, but they're not really sorrowful enough to really repent of their sin. I don't know if you've ever been there. But a lot of people are. I have a little pang of conscience. I'm a little tweaked in my spirit. But I'm not going to turn from my sin because I like it too much. It's, it's too beneficial. And I'm certainly not going to surrender my life to Jesus and let him point out even more stuff and change my life completely. Consider, folks, that a troubled conscience is not really the ar final arbiter of whether we're, what we're doing is sinful or not. It's not the arbiter of right and wrong. I doubt if the people who are trafficking young girls and drugs across the southern border have any pangs of conscience about what they're doing. But I will tell you that it's abhorrent. It's horrific. And all those who permit it and all those who are party and promoting it are just as terrible. That's wrong. It's sinful. 
It's an atrocity that's evil and deserves the wrath of God, as many other sins do, okay? To continue in sin, apart from any pangs of conscience or against any pangs of conscience, drives us further and further away from reconciliation with Almighty God. And John knew that Herod was sinning and he was highlighting his sin to bring him. Herod was gripped by his vices, as many are today. Maybe it's you. You're gripped by your vice. Is it greed? It's pornography? Gluttony? Selfishness? What is the pride? What is the sin? Are we enamored by the pursuit of pleasure? To the point that we're either hardened against the pangs of conscience or we're uh, unwilling to repent even if we have the pangs of conscience. Do we, fa- do we fear disfavor from men rather than realizing the need to repent and turn from Christ? If that's you this morning, all I can do is invite you to not follow Herod. But to turn from your sin, confess it and repent and trust in Christ as your Savior. And for some of us who know Christ, we maybe have some sins we need to get right with God because we've been continuing in them and we refuse to turn away. But there's a second face that the fear of men that forsakes Christ puts on and that we see in verses 3 through 12. We're pleasing men but not repenting of our sin. We're pleasing men but not repenting of our sin. For when Herod, this is verse 3, Four, or verse 4, four, no, verse 3, for when Herod gives us a reason why he was troubled but not trusted, okay? And this is a flashback, okay? Verses 3 through 12 is really a flashback to a time uh, just prior to Jesus beginning his public ministry, a time when Herod put John in prison and up to the point where he executed him, okay? So John was a spirit-filled guy. It says that from Luke, in Luke chapter 1, verse 15. While yet in his mother's womb he was filled with the Spirit. Which that's a whole other sermon. And greater than any man born among women, it says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. And he was called to herald the Messiah. That was his task. Matthew 3, 3. So, it says in verse 4, For when Herod had John arrested, he bound him and put him in prison. He put him in prison. What was John's message heralding men? John was not your, uh, what do I want to say, um, culturally sensitive guy. You know? He really didn't, he, not, he wouldn't have been very woke in today's uh, terminology. I mean, the guy set up his church on the outskirts in the desert, and then people came to him and he says, What are you doing, you whitewashed, you, you vipers? Who told you to flee from the wrath of God to come? You know, kind of seeker-friendly. You know, Come on in. And here's his message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Serious stuff. Called people to repentance. He was a set-apart man, a holy man of God living in the wilderness with the hard message, the exact opposite of Herod, who was living in a castle in opulence, surrounded by yes-men, people who would tell him only what he wanted to hear, or else they'd lose their life, perhaps. And John boldly called out this ruler 
of the region. And it says that he was imprisoned. Why? On account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had the audacity, look at verse 4, for John had been saying to him, it's not lawful for you to have her. What you're doing is adulterous and incestuous. And it's wrong. No. Who's he saying this to? You know, he's not like the synagogue leader saying it to parishioners coming into the synagogue. He is the prophet wearing camel skin clothing and eating locusts and wild honey out there telling the ruler of their kingdom, you're sinning against Almighty God. You can look it up if you want to in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 16, and chapter 20, verse 21. This, this woman that he had as his wife was married to his brother Philip, and while she was still married to him, and he was, uh, Herod was still married to somebody else, they got married, and then they divorced their other respective spouses. And the woman actually was a, a relative of his, which is even more convoluted. So he speaks the truth, like the prophet Elijah, with whom he's been compared. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 14, and 1 Kings 18, John's courageous and persistent condemnation of their sin and calls to correct it. He, he wasn't just saying, you're sinning. He was saying, you're sinning and you need to change. It's not too, wrong, too late to right the wrong. It irritated them, to say the least, okay? But it also instructs us. It's not just an irritation to them, but it's an instruction to us to speak the truth, even when the truth means we suffer for speaking the truth. In James chapter 5, verses 10 and 11, you know, the prophets suffered for what they did, and we have been called like them to speak out and to speak the truth. Holy boldness that speaks the truth, regardless of the consequences, is the hallmark of our faith of genuine believers. It has been ever since. You look through the entire Bible, all of the prophets. I like that prophet Micaiah, you know. He's just, oh, you're supposed to tell the king here that, uh, that everything's going to be fine. And Micaiah says, no, it's not. Oh, well, yeah, I guess so. I'll tell you what you want to hear. And he's mad. And the king's mad at him. you got the prophet Isaiah. you got the prophet Jeremiah. you got the prophet, every prophet you can see. you got John. you got Paul. you got people saying, look, it's not right. John wasn't afraid to offend the religious or the ruthless political leaders, okay? I want you to look at Matthew chapter 3, verse 7, if we can look at that on the screen. If you don't, if it's not there, you can, in your, in your Bibles here. Matthew chapter 3, verse 7, this is John, you know. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He put it out straight. And I'll put it out straight, folks. It doesn't really matter, and I may get excoriated for this, whatever. Joe Biden's support of U.S. funding for abortions by international organizations and NGOs, and anybody who joins him in support of that, is evil. Whether it's overseas or in the United States, and it doesn't have to be him, whoever's name is in front of it, supporting it and promoting it, it's wrong. Sin is sin. Whether it's doesn't matter whether you're an elephant or a donkey, it's wrong. 
And we have got to start calling a spade a spade. Well, we don't have to. We can fear men and forsake Jesus. But I'm telling you what, folks, you want to know, I think, why we have a, such a scourge, many of you think, on the United States right now? We'll talk about 63 million souls screaming from the grave. And what do we do? Well, you know, it's, it's really it's too bad. What? It's more than too bad. It's murder. And when are we going to stop and say that's what it is? God help us. We decry the Holocaust, and yet we are party to it every day. It's got to, got to stop. We got to start, start calling it like it is. This is John. I'm not afraid, John says, to call it what it is. Wrong is wrong. And let's do it. Faithful Christians have a responsibility to point out sin. Now, why do we do this? Okay, here's the deal, folks. It's not just because we're high and mighty. We have a responsibility to call out sin, to propel people to repentance and faith and trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. This is the whole reason for the resurrection we just celebrated last Sunday was so that people would turn from their sin and trust in Christ and be redeemed just like we are. We're not better than them. We don't come with condescension. We have a responsibility. Unfortunately, taking a stand against deception, lying, that is, corruption, government, or church, or wherever it is, or ethnic prejudice. I just, got a, I just got a text last night from somebody that you can buy this book in, in Target now. And Target, it's a prayer book. And the prayer book, here's one of the prayers in the book. Go, oh Lord, help me learn how to hate. And then an ethnic group of people. Yeah. Oh, Lord, help me how to do what is exactly contrary to what your word says. <laughs> hate a certain group of people. This is the garbage that people, and this is supposedly a prayer book. To call this stuff out, to say there are unbiblical philosophies that are permeating the church of Jesus Christ, like critical theory, which is antithetical to the gospel. It is, where do men come from? Men come from God. What's the problem with man? Man is sinful, and this is not what's taught in critical theory. It's the opposite of what's taught in critical theory. What's our problem? What's the solution? The solution is Jesus Christ. This is not what's taught in this garbage. And we need to stop and take a look at it, and you say, well, I don't know, what are you talking about, critical theory? Well, I'm just telling you, folks, Google it, okay? And then guess that most of what you're going to read in the Google is you evaluate it based on the scriptures. To point this stuff out, that stealing is wrong. That abuse, that tyranny, that sexual perversion, that abortion, any of these sins that are perpetrated and promoted and participated in by others, to, to call them out is to oftentimes be seen as, well, it's just political partisanship. No, it's the Bible. It's the Bible. It's not. Sin is sin. Look at Luke chapter 6, verse 26. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. 
please men or fear God. We're going to fear men, but everybody's going to speak well of you. Ah, you're a good old boy, just going along with the group. Don't rock the boat. Don't shake anything out. Look at folks, here's the deal. Confrontation should not come by way of condescension. I, we, I, I, I was praying about this because I can, in case some of you haven't, I, I can be kind of cynical. Uh, and I, I can be a little jaded. And I know that's not of the Spirit, Right? So condescension is not in it, but with conviction and compassion. I can call sin, sin, and be convicted that sin is sin, and call it like that, and not hate anybody who's involved in the sin. And I preach a message of reconciliation. I'm not just out there pointing out sin, and I know that some, even as I speak, I know that some have been party to some of the sins that I've mentioned. There is forgiveness with Jesus. That's the message we preach. That's the whole purpose of the gospel. It's not that somebody else is mightier and higher than you. I got my own garbage, okay, that God has forgiven me of and continues to forgive me. And so you can be forgiven of whatever sin that I've mentioned here or others that haven't been mentioned. It's, that's the gospel. It's the compassion that moves and calls people to repentance and faith and trust in Christ. That's why John pointed out here it's sin. That's why we point out any sin. Not because we're mightier and higher and better off and we're, we've got it all figured out. No, we are just, as one man said, poor beggars who found bread saying, here, here's where we found it and you can find it too. The bread of life. Eternal life. We hold up the gospel that forgiveness is available to all who participate, promote, whatever form of sin it is, it's possible to be forgiven. That's the message of the gospel. And those who speak the truth face consequences. If we're going to do it, we're going to suffer for it. Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, Jesus calls us and said, Look, you're, you're going to be persecuted. Isn't it interesting at the end of the Beatitudes, then he says, Blessed are you when men persecute you and speak all manner of evil against you falsely on account of me. Oh, what? I'm not sure I want to be blessed like that, Lord. You know, aren't there some other blessings? But if we're going to speak the truth in love, guess what? This is what happens. We're going to suffer for it. John went to prison. He was beheaded. Are we willing? Folks, this is where we're coming to. The Equality Act goes through. You and I are going to have to face it. We may go to jail. I used to preach before. I said, the things I say from the pulpit now, someday you're going to have to visit me in prison. I hope I never stop speaking the truth. God's word. If it lands me in prison, so be it. So help me God. Then we'll be able to do what we sang in this song. Then you know it's kind of high, nice, and uh, you know, easy to say that songs of praise shake prison walls. Yeah, that's all right. That's all good for Paul. <laughs> I really don't want to find out. Am I going to be up at midnight singing songs of praise to God after I've been whipped and thrown in a dungeon? I hope so. I hope so. I can't say I will. I don't know. I'm not going to stand here like Peter and say, oh, I'll never deny you, Lord, because I don't know that. But I hope and I pray in my spirit that I would stand on the cross of Christ. And I pray that we would too. That's where we're coming to. And that's what John did. John the Baptist did. Let us stand.
Let us stand for Christ and pray for our fellow believers around the world who are doing so at great risk to their lives. I just read this week that uh, another brother, Arthur Pawlowski, was rebuked. He, he had, uh, the police came into his church, the church he's pastoring, on Easter Sunday, and he told them, get out of here. You've got no reason to be here. They were doing their patrols to see who, if they had enough masks on and to see if they weren't violating mandates about how many people they could have in the sanctuary and all this stuff. And he says, leave. You're, being, you're here illegally. And I mean, there are like six officers there. I'm thinking, for Pete's sake, it's not that big of a church. I mean, how many of it take to count? And so, but now there's repercussions, repercussions. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3.12, all who live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Man. I, I'm a coward. You know, I, I don't, I don't, that doesn't, doesn't, you know, really thrill me, that thought. But you know what? God doesn't care if I'm thrilled. He just cares if I'm faithful. He cares if we're faithful. Are we being so friendly towards the world that we are not faithful to proclaim the truth? So friendly with the world that we fail. And why would we proclaim the truth? We would proclaim the truth because if people don't know the truth, then they will not be set free. So God, give us hearts of compassion as we preach the truth because we want people to be liberated, not terminated. Okay? Will I speak out, confront critical theory in the church and the culture because it's toxic to Christ and his church? Both Herod and Herodias were enraged with John's condemnation. But it says in verse 5 that Herod wouldn't put him to death because of his fear for the crowds who thought John to be a prophet. He feared the multitude. I like what John MacArthur put, said here. He says, just as John was fearful of nothing and no one except God. Herod feared almost everything and everyone but God. So do we fear everyone and everything but God? Or do we fear no one and no nothing except God? That's the question. Herod's reverence for John as a righteous and holy man resulted in his preservation temporarily. And uh, the text says, And when he heard him, he was very perplexed, and he used to enjoy listening to him. Um, this is Mark chapter 6. So, uh, the second thing is, Herod feared John, so he spared his life. Now, this is not in the text in Matthew, okay? He feared God, so he spared his life. This is in Mark chapter 6, verse 20. Mark chapter 6, verse 20. For Herod was afraid of John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he had been protecting him. And when he heard him, he was very perplexed, and yet he used to enjoy listening to him. This was not a once-in-a-lifetime thing. This is not a one-off thing where John was confronting Herod. Can you believe that? The guy kept hearing him. <laughs> he was getting the gospel. What was he hearing? When, hence that John's only reprieve from his prison cell was when he was up confronting Herod with his sin. How's that for a life? Prison, or you're confronting the king who can off you at any time. That was his life. He has an opportunity to expose the ruler's sin and explain his need for the Savior. That he was a sinner. Herod was. 
deserving of God's wrath because of his sin. That he should, as John words, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That he should turn, do a 180 degree turn away from his incestuous and adulterous lifestyle, away from his other sins and trust in Christ as his savior. Then and only then would he be forgiven and have a relationship with God and understand that he had eternal life. He needed to submit to the real king. (laughs) Herod, you're not the king. You need to submit to the real king, the king of kings, who's mightier than I, John would say. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I baptize you with water. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He was calling him to end his illegitimate relationship. And we bring the same message to people. Your sin condemns you to an eternity apart from God. And because I love you and don't want you to spend an eternity apart from God, I'm going to point out your sin. So that you can repent of it and turn and trust in Jesus as the payment for your sin. Which his death paid the debt you owe and his resurrection proved that his payment was sufficient and satisfactory for God. That's what I want you to know so you can live. That's the message that that we bring to them. Herod rejected John's word and John's Jesus. Herod was curious. But his conscience was only pricked. It wasn't converted he was interested you know in this God stuff but not really impacted and that's where many people are today and if you're there I'm saying hey don't don't stop where Herod did don't just be pricked Uh, don't just be interested let your life be impacted by Christ but his fascination for John was overcome by his fear of his friends and his wife That's point C. Verses 6 through 12. Herodias was crafty, and she was cunning, and she was calloused, okay? Cold-hearted, actually. She sent her daughter out there to dance some lewd dance in front of all the the guests there, and then Herod was pleased, which means he was basically lusting after her. And typical Roman fashion, the, the party would involve gluttony, it would involve lewd dancing, it would involve drinking more than you should drink. And so everybody was in some crazed state. And Herodiously, cunning, Herodias cunningly said, Hey, okay, here's what you should ask, honey. Ask for the head of John the Baptist. I'm going to get at that guy because Herodias didn't like him either. And Herod was grieved, it says that in verse 9, Matthew 14, verse 9. And he was filled with remorse, but he wasn't repentant. He wasn't, I know this is wrong and I'm not going to do it despite my guess. No, he wanted to be seen as the guy who kept his word. He wanted to see as the generous guy willing to give. Because he promised in one of the parables, he said, I'll give you up to half my kingdom. Which is kind of an ironic statement because he didn't have any kingdom to give her. Because he was just a little... Low man on the totem pole. His dad was really calling the shots and he was ruling under his dad and his dad was ruling at the will of the emperor. So he kind of made a promise bigger than his ability to pay, but he wanted to be seen as generous. And so he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't back down. He gave in. He was more afraid of being embarrassed. I don't know about you. You ever been that way? Young people at school? You know, telling off-color jokes or... Uh, the pressure to go along with some thing in class. I remember standing or being in a class of like 300 people at a lecture when the professor was railing against Christianity and who's going to stand up and say that they're one of these born-again evangelical Christian type people? Well, the pressure is on, folks. You know, you got an atheist professor and a group of other people. Who's going to stand up in that? Well, you're, you're like, 
You know what I'm talking about. You've been at the workplace and people have been making off-color jokes or they're railing against some, supporting some craziness that you know is sin and you, you, you're like, mm, just kind of bite your tongue and just kind of you know, sit on your hands and don't say anything because you don't want to be the only one in the room who's bucking the crowd. That's John. Confronted Herod and Herod was one of those people. And so without delay, he beheaded John and his head was brought on a platter. Herod silenced the voice of God in his life. Don't do that. That's my word today. Don't silence the voice of God in your life. The people around you, the word of God around you, the pangs of conscience around you, don't silence the voice of God because it will not turn out well. He silenced the voice of God to save his face and he lost his life, his soul. Okay. He lost his soul. Herod lost, Herod lost his soul. John didn't. John lost his life. Hope I didn't confuse you there. Okay. Don't save face at the cost of your soul. That's what I want to say. Don't save face at the cost of your soul. So, rather than repenting and turning to Christ, are, are, are we more concerned what our peers say? Are you more concerned about what your coworkers are thinking? Your classmates? Your family? Than standing up for Jesus? I know, you're not supposed to what? Get together with family, don't talk about politics, don't talk about religion. Right? You're going to divide the family. Well, you know what? Some of my family don't know Christ. So maybe I need to talk about religion with them. I need to talk about what's true and right and honest and just and speak the truth in love. And I know they're the hardest people to talk to, but God give us grace to do it. Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Paul said, uh, that uh, I'm now, if I'm now seeking the favor of God or of, uh, of men or of God, or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to, trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, similar passage, similar idea. Are we living to please men or God? Let's live to please God and not men. Fascinating that shortly after, uh, Herod's beheading Herod kept saying you know I really want to meet this Jesus guy when well, he met him you know at the trial of Jesus he met Jesus and during the trial it says he was, he was very glad when he saw Jesus Luke chapter 23 because he was hoping to see some sign performed by him there you go I want a dog and pony show I want, to see, I want to see some miracle, you know, some miraculous thing. That Herod's fascination with the supernatural was superficial is seen not only in the fact that he took John's life and beheaded him, but that he, when Jesus didn't put on a show, he excoriated and criticized and condemned the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and sent him back to Pilate so Pilate could crucify him. Herod's heart of unbelief reflects, as Mark shared with us, the thorny soil, right? The worries of this world and the deceitfulness of riches took over in Herod's life. And he was more concerned about pleasing people than he was about God. And interestingly enough, his beheading of John actually foreshadows the crucifixion of the Messiah, who was also rejected by men who would rather please men than follow Christ. No fear of God. 
Herod rejected Jesus and condemned his soul. I ask you this morning, do you have a fear of God? Young believers, if you're listening or you're here this morning, Herod is an example to avoid, okay? He's an example to avoid. You're fearing men without a fear of God, or you're entrenched in pride and greed and selfishness, some sort of uh, sin that you're entrenched in. Hey, there's hope. Turn from your sin and trust in Christ. Don't seek to please men or to please your pleasure and sacrifice your soul. Don't trade temporary popularity, temporary power, temporary uh, prestige. Don't trade it. I'm sorry, I got that wrong. I'm going to back up. Don't sacrifice that stuff unless you're willing to embrace what's eternal. Don't trade what's eternal. Don't trade what's eternal, the power, the purpose, the peace of God for all that temporary stuff. That's what I wanted to say. Okay. Don't, don't trade the eternal peace with God, pardon with God, and the presence of God for temporary pleasure. Turn and trust Christ. And if you're here this morning and you know Jesus, guess what? John becomes our example to follow. That we would speak the truth in love, not with condescension, but with compassion, with conviction, because we want people to turn from their sin and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Speak the truth and point it out. I like what John Piper put out on social media. He says, our concern for purity within the church should be first before putrefaction of the culture. Okay? Uh, we should be concerned about what's going on in the church. So when there's sin and stuff in the church, we should be concerned about that. You know, first, and then, you know, we can go out to the culture. But the thing is the same. God calls us to speak the truth in love so people will come to faith in Christ. And, it's, and we need to pray for each other and others who are at great risk for doing that. Because if we start doing that, guess what? The heat will come. And we need to stand with each other. Back to back, shoulder to shoulder. And pray for each other. And as we, as we close, we, we take the bread and the cup as symbols of Christ's sacrifice for us as a celebration to remind us that he died for our sins and he died for the sins of the world so that all who trust him can be saved. And that's the message we bring in spite of the fact that we have to be calling sin, sin. Folks, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says, look, you, you cannot, don't you know that these sins condemn you to hell? So if I don't point out, we don't point out sin that condemns people to hell, guess what? They don't turn from their sin, and they spend an eternity apart from Him. And that's not what we want. So if you're here this morning, if you're home watching, you know Jesus as your Savior, take a few moments and reflect before you take of the elements of the bread and the cup, which should be a, a sober reflection for those of us who know Jesus of the cost that he went to to pay for our sins and should be a rejoicing thing as we celebrate what he's done on our behalf. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Oh, for the examples. The example of Herod, which is something we want to avoid. We don't want to sacrifice the eternal peace, the eternal pardon, the eternal power of God over sin for temporary pleasure prominence and position we thank you father that the example of john is one to follow that we'd speak the truth in love so that people can come to know jesus and be free and the truth will make them free indeed we pray in jesus name